Great job, guys. This is a great week at VBS. Brian and I got to do skits. Next year, Brian and I are already practicing for next year. VBS, we'll be doing it in our building. That'll be fun. But uh, it was a great week. And you can see just, I mean, that's just our elementary kids on a summer Sunday. Uh, throw in, you know, our early childhood kids and then take out summer. You can see why we need a lot of volunteers. We have a whole lot of kids. And God has just blessed us with that. And that's a gift. Uh, today we're going to do what I envision uh, we come back to often. And that is occasionally doing a one-off sermon on uh, what I'm calling foundations. Um, how many of you know what I'm talking about when I say, and don't show the picture yet, I'll tell you when, Salty the Singing Songbook. All right? How about um, DC Talk? Oh, okay, a few more, a few more. Actually, okay, hold on. Go, go show Salty. This is Salty the Sing... Just creepy beyond... <laughs> So Salty was like a late 80s, early 90s Christian like songbook that kids would sing along with. It was like the precursor to Barney. <laughs> and Salty is even creepier than Barney. Okay, DC Talk. Let's show the DC Talk. Oh yeah, those just this was when like if you grew up in the church, you could listen to rap. If you listen to DC Talk, because they were Christian rappers. How about um, McGee and Me? Oh, there you go. McGee and Me was a TV show, Christian TV show, uh, where a kid was friends with a cartoon, which is weird, kind of. But, you know, there was a Bible story involved. How about Adventures in Odyssey? Show that. This was like... Now all the parents, we have DVD players in the car. This is for those of us who never had that. We had to listen to cassette tapes and use our brains to imagine what was saying. But Adventures in Odyssey were like Bible stories, cassette tapes that you would listen to on long car rides. Uh, so some of you are going, what is all this? And the people that are laughing are laughing because they know what I'm talking about. Because they likely grew up in the church in the late 80s, early 90s. This all is a part of sort of a Christian 90s church subculture. So those that are like, no, because they experienced it, laugh, and it probably brings up some nostalgic feelings. There's other, others of you who go, I'm feeling nothing because I have no idea who Creepy Salty the Songbook is. You know, I've never listened to DC Talk or watched, you know, McGee and me. And the point is this. Uh, it is easy to think that our experience is everyone's experience. It's easy to think that because I know the language, I know the insider language, that everybody knows the language. 
in churches, it becomes very easy to just assume that people know what we're talking about. When we say uh, things like VBS. One time I was speaking at a conference in Sweden and I gave an illustration uh, about VBS. And as I'm talking, this, like the lead pastor of the church that this conference is at stands up and goes, Aaron, nobody here knows what VBS is. You have to explain that to them. <laughs> See, my assumption was VBS, everybody knows VBS because every church in the United States does VBS. We go on mission trips and do VBS. Sweden, nobody does VBS. Nobody knows what VBS is, what it stands for. But because my experience is that VBS has been a part of my life and the ministry of the church where I live, the assumption is everyone knows what I'm talking about when I say VBS. Or when we, when we uh, use words like born again or evangelical. Or we, say, we talk about practices like baby dedication or communion or baptism. It's easy to assume that everyone knows what we're talking about when we talk about these things, or why we do these things. Like we just assume that everyone that's here or watching understands why we do baby dedications, or why we do uh, baptisms, or why we take communion, or why we sing on a Sunday, or why we, we preach and do messages on a Sunday. And it's, it, it, I've learned in my time in ministry, it's very, diff, it's very uh, dangerous to have those working assumptions that just everybody understands, everybody knows what we're talking about. Because not everyone knows, not everyone understands, not everyone has had shared experiences. You can go off that photo of Adventures in Odyssey. You could probably find some tapes on eBay, but um, it's dangerous to assume that everyone, is, that everyone gets it. And the problem is it creates a culture where people who don't get it then feel bad that they don't get it. Like they're, they're, they're resistant to speak up and go, I just don't know why we, why we should read the Bible. I don't know what born again means. I don't know why a person would be baptized. But the, their assumption is everyone else knows, but I don't. So then I feel like a fool. I don't want to be embarrassed, so I don't bring it up. And if that's you, I want you to say, you are not alone in that. Every single one of us was an outsider at one point. And for those of us who know the language and know the culture, we've got to recognize that not everyone else does. And it's vital that we talk about and explain why we do the things we do and some of the language we use. And that's the point of this series, Foundations, that I see us coming back to like at certain times every year to go, here's what is fundamental to the faith. Here are the foundations and the spiritual practices we engage in, and you can know nothing about it, but I hope that when you leave, you'll know something about it. So next week, we're, we're doing a baptism service. And it is, a, it is a foundation of the church to participate in baptism. But why? Why do we do it? What is it? And that is the foundation that I want to talk about with you this morning. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20 says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain 
where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This is after Jesus' death. It's after his resurrection. Uh, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If I were to ask you, how does a person become a Christian, or as Jesus puts it, a disciple, a follower of Christ, how would you answer that question? And if you're like, I don't know, I would, you know, I would say, as a Christian, we should all be prepared to answer that question because we might be asked it one day. Someone might go, oh, you're a Christian. How do I, like, how do I become a Christian? I heard a pastor say once that his method was he would use like A, B, C, D. Make it easy to remember. These are the, the, the steps that uh, are required in becoming a Christian. I don't know if I'd use the word necessarily required, but it's, it's an easy way to think about how I would share an answer to that question, how do I become a Christian? And so A... A is admit. You must admit something. You have to recognize and admit admit that like, I'm flawed. I'm a sinner. Like I I mess up. I do things that I just know like aren't, like I can can feel it. Like it's, it, it, it just, like I I do it and I, and there's like a, there's a feeling, like feelings of shame. It's just like, it's wrong. Like, I'm not who I want to be. Or I'm not, there may be a, a sense of I'm not who I should be. Like, there's something wrong. I'm flawed. I am a sinner. And uh, I need a savior. A is admittance. No one has become a Christian who didn't first recognize their need for Jesus. And that they were a sinner. B. Believe, you must believe. Believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior you need. Believe that Jesus lived the life you and I could never live. He died believing that he died the death I deserve, you deserve, and believe that he's resurrected, that his death paid the penalty of my sin, and that he's been resurrected and is alive and does reign And he's inviting me to not only be the savior of my life, but be the Lord of my life. And that moves us to see where a person must consider the cost. They must consider the cost when they say, uh, I am going to follow Jesus. Because the cost is, it is I'm willing to give up the life I once lived. I'm willing to say no to sin, to secrecy. I'm willing to publicly admit that I need Jesus. And I'm willing to live a life that not only allows Jesus to save me, but I'm willing to live a life sacrificially in obedience to him. There is a cost, and everyone must consider that cost. 
And then D, finally, is do. There is something to do. It is not, coming to faith in Christ is not simply acknowledging that these things I've just said, uh, it's, it's not just acknowledging them intellectually, but it requires a response of repentance, of turning to faith in Jesus. And when you make Jesus you, your Lord, you're saying, I'm going to do what he says. Jesus says that. He says, go make disciples, baptizing them, commanding them to do what I've commanded you to do. And what happens when a person does this, admits their need for a savior, believes that Jesus Christ is the savior they need, considering the cost and stepping out through repentance and faith, they become what the Bible says Born again, the, the, the mysterious, powerful reality that we are made new. We, in essence, are born again and become then sort of baby Christians. Just like babies must physically grow to thrive, we then must grow spiritually to spiritually thrive. And one of the means that God has given us for our growth is the word of God. And when you turn to the word of God, we're told not just to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but obey him as our Lord. And this gets us to baptism. The first question I want to ask is, why do we baptize? And the answer, actually, the first part of the answer is very easy. We baptize simply because Jesus commanded it in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, Jesus charges the church with baptizing, and therefore, we recognize that it is vital that all believers in obedience enter baptism, simply because Jesus said we're supposed to do it. So we do what Jesus says, and we follow his commandments, and he commanded us to be baptized. In other words, baptism is not an option, but an obligation. Since Jesus is my Lord, I must obey him. I want to obey him because of everything he's done for me. The second part to the answer, why do we baptize, is the New Testament church practiced it. We see it everywhere. I mean, Matthew 8, there's two moments. Matthew 9, there's two moments. Matthew 10, Matthew 16, there's two stories. Matthew 18, I'm sorry, Acts. These are all Acts. Acts 18, Acts 19, Acts 22. We see in the story of the early church in Acts that people who heard the message and believed, then practiced confession through baptism. Acts 2, 37 through 41. This is the impassioned speech that Peter gives after uh, the people recognize their sin, that they've been a part of crucifying Christ, and they say, what should we do? And Peter says, when the people heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for whom the Lord our God will call. The early church practices, we see it all throughout Acts. It is a pattern that is clear. People heard the message, they believed, and then there was a confession. We see it with the Ethiopian eunuch, Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul. 
Lydia, the jailer who becomes a Christian. They hear the good news. They believe the good news. They confess the good news. It's, it's the pattern we see throughout the book of Acts. Well, then, we know why Jesus commanded us to do it. It's a, we see it being ob- in obedience, being done in the early church. What does baptism actually mean? And first, I think it's important to note what it doesn't mean. And that is, it is not the washing away of sin. The Bible makes it clear that the blood of the Lord Jesus is what deals with our sin. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus' blood is what washes away your sin. The act of baptism does not The water in the baptismal is not a sort of magical, supernatural, holy elixir that once your body is covered by it, your sin, therefore, is washed away. Rather, it is a picture of the cleansing of your sin. It is also not the way to become a Christian. Many people think that becoming a Christian is having something done to you, particularly by a, a holy professional religious professional that when a holy professional dips or pours water over my body therefore I have become a Christian my sins are wiped away and I have eternal life and many of you who probably even have had that experience recognize that that did not make you a Christian It wasn't until you accepted your need of a Savior and by belief and faith and trust in the Lord Jesus that you became a Christian. So if it isn't the washing away of sin and it isn't the way you become a Christian, what is it? Three things. One, it's a public confession of personal faith. The person who gets baptized is saying publicly before God, their church, family, and friends, Christ died for my sin, Christ was buried, and Christ was raised. They are publicly acknowledging that they have, they have pondered the, what it means to follow Jesus. They've recognized their need for Jesus, and they are saying, I am going to follow Jesus. And in doing so, they're saying, you can hold me accountable to that. That's why it's done publicly. And that's the second part. It is an illustration of a great truth. We are in union with Christ. In Romans 6, 1 through 11, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have, we are those who have died to sin. You can live in it no longer. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The water is a picture. Imagine it as a grave. When the person goes down into the water, they are saying, I am dead to the old life. The life that, that, my, the life that I have now is the life before Jesus that I am giving to the one who saved me. They are not saying I'm perfect. They're not saying I'm, I'm sinless. They're not saying I fixed all the problems in my life. They're not saying that at all. They're saying because of Jesus, I am in union with him. Therefore, I participate in his death and I participate 
in his resurrection, and my old life is dead. And I claim the new life that Christ has given me. And when they come out of the water, they're saying, I have been resurrected with Christ, and I intend to live in the newness of life. And it's public. In doing so, it creates an accountability where it's like when you see a person in military garb, your expectation is that they're going to fight. That they're going to act in accordance to what it means to be in the military. That that, That uniform says something. Baptism says something. It says like, look, I'm not perfect, I need a savior, I'm putting my faith in Jesus to be my savior, but I'm killing the old life, and I'm embracing the new life in Christ, and you can hold me accountable to it, that I'm going to live in the newness of life. It's powerful. Three, it's a declaration of obedience. Baptism is one of the first steps a person takes in living an obedient life to Christ. It is a public oath of followership and obedience in Christ Jesus. It's saying my allegiance is to Christ and Christ alone. So two questions as the band comes up for you as we close. One, do you today as an individual truly believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if not, I would say run to him immediately and ask him to become the Lord of your life. The second question is, if you profess Christ as your Lord and Savior, have you confessed him publicly through baptism? Have you said yes to the command of Christ, your King and Savior, to be baptized? And if not, I would say, come to him and do what he asks you to do. Take your stand with fellow followers of Christ. Next week, you have an opportunity to take that stand, to say yes to Jesus' commandment to be baptized. And I want to invite you. And if, you're a, if you feel that you're going to do it, and don't wait. People didn't wait in Acts. There can be all sorts of reasons not to do it. But man, when you look in Acts, I mean, the, the, the Egyptian eunuch is like, oh, there's a puddle. Why wouldn't I get baptized in it? I just put my faith and I confess my faith in Christ. I want to be baptized. I don't wait. Let's do it. Don't wait. So there's an opportunity, and I want to encourage you. And there's, there's, there's two ways you can say yes, and I'm going to help you every step of the way leading up till next Sunday. So you know exactly what's going to happen. But you can email me at my email. It's in the program. Or on on our website, you can go to events. You can go to the outdoor baptism. And there's a button there that says baptism, uh, interest in baptism or something like that. And you can fill out the form. And I'll get it. And I'll reach out to you this week. And we'll talk about it. So if you have questions, if you're ready, go. Let's go. It'll be a, a, a marker in your life that you won't ever forget. You'll never regret saying yes to Jesus, whatever he asks. But you might by saying no. Let's stand together and let's sing.
Jesus is holy. Jesus is holy.